From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up... The debate over race under President Donald Trump, his response to neo-Nazi rallies and rollout of what some are calling anti-minority policies. He has created an environment that said to folks, this behavior is acceptable. It is not moral leadership. I I disagree with that premise. A new office of violence prevention for the city of Philadelphia. I'm not going to be afraid to tell individuals or programs who aren't doing what they're supposed to do that they won't be funded again. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The topic of discussion is President Donald Trump and his wobble in response to the white supremacist-led protests in Charlottesville, Virginia. It turned deadly. His immediate response? We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. Then after major backlash from both sides of the aisle, two days later, the president revised his assessment and came back with this. Racism is evil, and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups. Less than a day later, Mr. Trump then doubled down on his initial statement, calling counter-protesters the alt-left and reassigning blame to both sides. All of the back and forth took over headlines days after news that the Trump administration would investigate college affirmative action programs and would work to curb legal immigration. With me in the studio to discuss this is Dr. Charles Gallagher, a sociology professor at LaSalle University. Our second guest is businessman and entrepreneur Calvin Tucker. He was a delegate to the Republican National Convention who helped get out the black vote here in Philadelphia. I just want to get you both to briefly give me your reaction to what has happened in Charlottesville and the president's response. Well, I mean, that was a a horrific event. Uh, I do agree with the president when he says that both sides Uh, were as culpable uh, in this process. Equally, the counter-protesters were being challenged by the white supremacists. Fortunately or unfortunately, those individuals were given the permit, so they had a constitutional right to be there. But in any event, both groups came armed and ready for conflict. And that's unfortunate in today's society that we have not had a clear discussion about race and racial matters in this uh, country. And from time to time, we have these kind of events. And hopefully, we from this event, we will have an honest discussion about race, uh, which starts in our homes, uh, in our communities, uh, and certainly in this nation. You know, Dr. Gallagher, first your reaction to that, and then if you have any response. Sure, I have a, a slightly different uh, version. I think there's a context to the, the, the march by the alt-right folks. This is a group motivated there through animus, the symbol of the statue of Robert E. Lee. And these are neo-Confederates. Make no mistake about it. These folks are racists, and they're motivated by anti-black, anti-immigrant, anti-Jewish sentiments. They are there because they hate millions of Americans. Not all of them, but a sizable part of the population. Now, if you saw the video the night before with the, basically everyone holding torches, screaming, Blood and soil, blood and soil. Jews will not replace us. These folks were there. This is a hate group, plain and simple. How did we get to this point? I would say we got to this point in many ways. 
because the president has allowed us to get to this point through, uh, through the wink, through the nod, through the dog whistle politics, um, him calling all Mexicans as rapists. So he has created an environment that said to folks, this behavior is acceptable. It is not moral leadership. I disagree with, with that premise. When you suggest that the current president has created this environment because of one incident, and while it was extremely horrible, should never happen. But is that fair to say this is just one incident? I mean, this is, I've, you know, some people say it's a series of incidents because I had the pleasure or displeasure of covering a Trump rally. And some people could make the argument that some of those Trump rallies are uh, tamer forms of what happened in Charlottesville. People can make, you know, every argument they want. And there are certainly fringes on both sides. There are extremists. There are alt-right and alt-left. Well, there is no Neither- alt-left is a made-up term. There is no such thing as an alt-left. I mean, this is an invention recently by the media. The alt-right, which I do not like the term, these are white supremacists. These are Ku Klux Klan. These are neo-Confederates. What this group is is, is no different from what the groups were 100 years and, ago. And but I want to jump in here. I want to jump in here and talk about this because it's a great transition right, right. because part of what we want to talk about is, you know, the DOJ now is going to be, be investigating uh, affirmative action and college. There's a lot of cuts to education, that public education that's going to affect communities of color. There's a lot going on here. Do you feel like somebody is being abandoned here? As a businessman, one of the reasons I supported Donald Trump is because I believe there's some essential issues that need to be addressed in the underserved community that have not been addressed by any administration in any, any substantial way. And that is unemployment, underemployment, the level of poverty that exists in our communities. And I think this president, being a business person, can begin to address those issues, assuming we can get past all of the rhetoric and, and pushback that, that he's getting through you know, the media and other, other but, channels. But do you but, think but without, let me go, let me go back to affordable action housing. goes back, if all these things roll back, do you think this population— These are all proposals. These are all looked through the media— when they present it, they're not presenting an honest discussion about what his proposals are. It's not affirmative action. Right. So the reason they're doing this right. is ostensibly is because it discriminates against white people. I mean, that's, that's why they're investigating to come to some conclusion as to whether it is or not. But right? the thing is, but there, there's there's collateral damage from that. Affirmative action programs are dismantled voluntarily right, right. before an investigation because right. it's a very expensive to be investigated by the DOJ. It's also a red herring. Yeah. Affirmative action doesn't matter for 90% of the schools in the United States. It's only really the elite institutions, right, right. where there's scarcity. Is it, is someone that knows how affirmative action works, when they select, there's so many variables. They want to make sure they have a kid from every state. They want to make sure they have a good golf team, a good swimming team, a good water polo team. Racism is one of many factors. One right. of many. It never gets that that kid got in because he's black or brown. But that it is, is a, just it is, not true. It can be. It diversity can be, can be the deciding factor. If right. all things are equal and there's a and you have this one right. case, yeah. could that be the tipping point? Of course, but right. that's not right. how typically these folks, these white folks, are riding because they feel that their stuff has been taken from them. The United States of America and, is still owned and yeah. controlled by white men. But if you hear white folks talk about it now, everybody's taken over. The, the Mexicans are taken over. The blacks took my job. They took that spot from my kid at Penn. This is what you hear. These are the lies, not the lies from the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. It's the Breitbart's. But, but yeah, again, and I just want to stop you there. I just want to stop you there because we're no. running out of time. No, okay, but I okay. just want to give final 30-second out on this. Mr. Tucker, who do you think is being emboldened here? And who's being abandoned given the recent incidents that have happened? I continue to support the president. 
I do believe as the president, you have to look at every program. I think the economy and all of its citizens are being emboldened in a discussion about how we live our lives and how we move forward. Uh, And unfortunately, race creeps its ugly head again. And until we begin to have that racial discussion in our neighborhoods and communities, we'll never solve And and last word, Dr. Gallagher. I believe that this president has missed on many occasions the opportunity to demonstrate moral leadership and courage and to, to make folks like this stand down. Everything that these people are doing to me is un-American. It is everything that we are not. And the president has sent mixed messages the entire time. And I think in some ways he has contributed to this in a very ugly way. He has contributed to this hatred. To Dr. Charles Gallagher, professor of sociology from LaSalle University, and Mr. Calvin Tucker, entrepreneur and Clearly still a supporter of President Donald Trump. Thank you so much for being here and talking about this flashpoint in the news. Next up, our newsmaker of the week leads a new office designed to stop the violence. A lot of the services that provided for years, I don't believe are just fully working. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered, I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Our newsmaker of the week has been a topic of discussion in the anti-violence community since his appointment was announced in July. John Del Ravel is the executive director of Mayor Kenny's new Office of Violence Prevention. For folks who have not heard, explain what the Office of Violence Prevention is. Well, the office is basically tasked with looking at all the money we spend on prevention services, um, 60-some-odd million dollars. We're going to do a series of audits um, to the different programs. And once we look at exactly what's being done, we're going to try to offer some services. So let's just back up. When I first did a story on this, um, when the announcement came out, and I mentioned that there were $60 million that the city currently has invested in anti-violence programs across departments, people were shocked. I mean, I know you've only been in the office about a month, but where is this money going? To be all honest, when I first um, got appointed, I was shocked as well. There are a number of programs uh, that are that are underrated, and we never knew about them. The services range from anything um, from DHS services that we are aware of to uh, PAL services that the police provide, and a number of organizations that are, that also are in communities too. So far, year to date, as of August sixteenth, uh, Philadelphia has seen one hundred and ninety six homicides, up ten percent. Uh, from this time in 2016. So a lot of people say there needs to be something done about violence. And this is one of the higher numbers we've seen since 2012. You're looking at money, but people are looking at the numbers of, of homicides. Is that something that you'll be working with as well? It is. And we got to take a step back. You know, like Nationwide, of course, violence is going up with everything that's going on. Um, but in our communities, I think people just lost hope. You know, a lot of the services have been provided for years. I don't believe are just fully working. So we have to kind of figure out what exactly that is. You know, and then also we have to tailor a holistic approach to, you know, these services. Are they in the right areas? You know, are we utilizing them um, correctly? We need to come up with a strategy that kind of targets the areas for what services they need and then kind of come up with a comprehensive plan to put these services in there. Um, that might be remapping the contracts. It might be um, talking with different other, well, other providers that uh, aren't on our radar that need to be kind of put on uh, a plan to kind of help support the community. 
And then also community buying is huge. We can't just provide services and not get buying from the community. There's a lot of grassroots groups that are on the ground. The Philadelphia Ceasefire is one of them that comes to mind. Are those the types of groups or services that you're talking about, or are you talking about something else? Those are the type of services, but there are many more smaller services as well. Um, and, you know, the big name uh, services like Ceasefire and YVRP, Youth Violence Reduction Partnership, and Focus Determinants, you know, those are the, the services that are in the forefront, you know, actually doing the work and People hear about them, you know, but then you have smaller services as well. You know, sometimes those small services, you know, that are doing a lot of work in the community but aren't being supported, you know. So how do we build their infrastructure? How do we make them a, a more vital part in this effort against violence prevention? You know, that's the key question. The kind of artists we're going to do again, you know, is not just pulling their, their uh, records or looking at their contracts, but it's going out and seeing exactly what they do. And so let's go back a bit and talk about you. You're not a, a native Philadelphian, but you've been doing anti-violence work for quite some time. I have originally from New York, came here, say, late 90s, worked in juvenile corrections and corrections. And once I came to Philadelphia, you know, I, I had a different mission in mind, you know, actually in leaving New York. I really wanted to look into not using my muscle, but using my mind, if that makes sense. Um, so I worked in residential I also worked as a therapist and as a social worker. I worked for an organization called Philadelphia Anti-Drug and Violence Network. That kind of really clued me into how the different neighborhoods in Philadelphia and how the different issues need to kind of be addressed. Boots on the ground type work. That gave, put me on this mindset, you know, that there needs to be more work involved in the community, but it needs to be tailored to each individual community. You know, it's a passion. But then again, also, I have three daughters, you know, so the violence that affects everyone in the city might one day come knocking at my door. You know, so I'm going to do everything it takes to kind of protect my family as, as well as protect everybody else's. When this office was announced, my phone started blowing up and people were looking at this, not necessarily in the most positive light. Folks are saying, you know, is this just a sham? Is this something the mayor's doing, but it won't actually, you know, bear fruit? What do you say to those folks who uh, are giving the side eye to this new office? You know, I know change is hard. And for some people, I know it's, it's a shock factor. The only thing I can do is show and prove uh, because I'm going to chase down every dollar. Um, and I'm not going to be afraid to tell individuals or programs who aren't doing what they, they're supposed to do after we give them a chance to fix it, if it's wrong, that they won't be funded again. I hear that. Tell people where they can find the Office of Violence Prevention. Right now we're still in the municipal building. So when we do move, we're going to have some type of kickoff uh, to let people know where we are. And we plan on going to the neighborhoods and, and meeting the people, you know, and hearing what they have to say. So thank you so much to uh, Shondell Ravel, Executive Director of the Office of Violence Prevention. Thank you so much for being here. We'll have a link. You can go to cbsphilly.com and search Flashpoint. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next up, we'll highlight our nonprofit of the week. You don't need a lot of money to give back. Three Ways, a West Philadelphia gallery owner, is creating a pathway for young philanthropists. This is Flashpoint. We here at KYW are all about community, and this week it's all about the Urban Art Gallery. Now, on the surface, this place at 52nd and Irving in West Philadelphia appears to just sell art, but if you go there... After hours, you'll see it houses so much more. I'd like to welcome founder Calphonse Morris to the KYW studios, as well as his daughter and right-hand woman, Milan Morris. Welcome. Uh, thank you for having us, Sherry. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it as well. So wonderful. So people who have never heard of the Urban Art Gallery, what is it? 
Urban Art Gallery is almost like a center, of a hub for the actual emerging artists right now. Um, we look to showcase the emerging artists that's popping up in our community, as well as a hub for our actual um, programs that we host for the young kids. Wonderful. How long has it been around, and why did you decide to decide to create it? Um, we've been there now for four, about a little over four years now, about four and a half years, and we're excited about that. And um, and one of the reasons why we did it is, for one, is the emerging artists can't showcase their work in Center City. So now what we do, we bring it to West Philly and have a place for them as a stepping stone for them. So we looked at and also just to bring the arts to our community. I mean, when you go to the Urban Art Gallery, it seems like all it does is, you know, host these young artists. But you guys do a lot more. Could you explain uh, how you do community outreach? We have different programs on Saturday mornings. We have from guitar, vocals, and that's with Beat Peace. Then we have art that's called Art Buds with Shanina and Chuck, two local artists. Um, And then we have jewelry as well with a lady named Miss Lee. And then we also host Chess Chat, which is a mentoring program. And that's every first and third Sunday of each month. And that's with two guys named Steve and Khalid. That's awesome. So we actually, uh, Khalid was one of our game changers right. uh, this past year. And I actually got to come to your location a couple of times because groups were making sandwiches in the Urban Art Gallery. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of change makers in the community, they do a lot of great work, but they don't have a place to be. Right. Have you guys kind of become the place? Yeah. We, there's a lot of people that reach out to us saying, can we partner up with you guys to do something. So we have a few things that's coming. There's a young women mentoring program coming. There's another young lady coming through to do things for uh, for women that's breastfeeding. So, you know, if we can host it, we're going to do it. Milan, your dad is a busy guy over yes. here because he has a day job. <laughs> right. So he's been this example for you. I mean, he works during the day and then does this thing at night. <laughs> right. I think he's such an inspiration to not just me, but many, to see that he can continue such a great business that's helping others and then go and still provide for us as a family. Tell people what you do during the day, Cal. I'm a letter carrier. So I work for the United States Post Office and I work right here in Center City, Philadelphia. Buy some stamps, y'all. Right. Buy some stamps. <laughs> right. Keep folks <laughs> keep right. folks employed. As a business owner, is this a way that business owners can help support community groups? I teach my kids how we should always give back. You don't need a lot of money to give back. A lot of times it's almost just having the space to give back. Uh, how can people support you? You can find us at, um, we well, can go to our website at urban, uh, urban-artgallery.com. We're on Instagram at Urban Art Gallery. We're on Facebook at Urban Art Gallery. Come show us support. Come to the art shows when we post them just to support the artists. Thank you so much to Cal Fons and Milan Morris. Check them out at 52nd and Irving in West Philadelphia. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you, Thank Sherry. you. That's it for Flashpoint. Follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag FlashChat. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. I'll be monitoring the tweets. In the meantime, if there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. To paraphrase George Bernard Shaw, progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change a thing. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.